Good morning, friends. I want to welcome you to our online service here at Vernonia Church. My name is Chad. I'm the youth pastor here. And I want to thank you for joining us this morning as we finish up our series on greater love. This morning, I would like to speak with you about three things that always strengthens love. Now, this is the opposite of last week where we talked about uh, we should never do these. These are the ones that we should actually do and always do. But before we get started, I want to pray for us as we get ready to dive into the message this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to continue to learn about the love that you have for us and the love that we should have for others. Father, I pray that you would just reach into our hearts, that you would talk to us and speak to us as, as we go through this message this morning. Father, I ask that if there's people that are holding something back or there's resentment or there's kindness that's needing to be given, Father, that, that you would just help us to, to see that and that we would act upon it rather than just sitting upon it and saying, well, that should probably change that. But Father, I thank you that, that you are patient with us and that you love us and that you've shown us how to love one another. So Father, as we finish this up, Father, I just ask that you just be our guide. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. There are things that we can continually count on. Specific holidays like New Year's, Fourth of July, Christmas, and Easter. Another constant thing that happens is the changing of seasons. We can always count on winter coming after fall and summer coming after spring. That is, unless we get snow in April like we did last year. Other than that, we can always count on these changes. Now, growing up, summer was my favorite time of year. Summer, just like any other kid, meant that school was getting ready to get out and that summer vacation was about to start. And for us, that also meant that camping was around the corner. But one thing that happened every year as I was growing up, no matter how much we prepared for it, no matter how many gallons of pesticides we put down, no matter how much we tilled the ground and raked up and tried to clear it of weeds, we'd always have weeds. And unfortunately, some of these weeds were really resilient. One of those weeds, there were two weeds that I really could not stand, and one of those weeds is goat heads. Now, goat heads is this, this viney-like uh, weed that grows on the ground, gets these little yellow flowers that turn into these big old green, almost looking nuts with spikes on it, and it's soft at that time, but then it hardens, and when it hardens, it breaks apart, and they get put everywhere. They get stuck in your tires, they get stuck in your shoes, they pop your bike tires, you have to have slimier tires, but then eventually they will end up inside. Now, I don't know how many of you have stepped on Legos, but I would rather step on a Lego than step on one of these little buggers because they hurt a lot. The second of these was tumbleweeds. Now, tumbleweeds, uh, well, they can grow to be four or five feet tall, and they grow up in these big old clusters. One of the other things about tumbleweeds, they have a really thick stalk. And when you have a really thick stalk, that means you have a really thick root. And it would go deep. We'd be sitting out there hacking at these things with a shovel trying to get them down. Other times we'd be trying to pull them up out of the ground. They were a pain to remove. But every year before we could go camping or, or go on any trips, there were, we knew that there would be a couple weeks where we would be going in and having to weed these things out. That is, unless you got in trouble. If you got in trouble, well, there were some times you'd end up with some uh, weeding hours where you'd be out helping to clear these areas. We would end up taking them out, pulling them out of the ground, or chopping them out of the ground, throwing them on a trailer, and taking them over to be burned in the fall. Now, love can look a lot like this. If we allow weeds to grow, the, these kind of weeds to take root in our lives, whether it's between our family, our friends, or even our church, um, there'll be a time where we'll need to take and, and weed them out, because if we don't, they will choke the life out of everything. 
Well, this morning we are going to finish up our series here, Greater Love, where Paul is going to emphasize the word always, that love always does these things. In this series, we have been looking at the passage in, in 1 Corinthians 13, where the Apostle Paul is describing Jesus' greater love and how we should apply that greater love to our lives. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 is known as the love chapter, and Paul in this chapter is describing uh, to the church what love should look like. Because, well, theoretically what's happening in this church currently is they're not doing very well. They are not loving each other. And he's saying to them, hey, it's time to start loving one another. And I don't know if you're here this morning and maybe you have someone in your life who you should be loving. And God might be saying to you, it's time to start loving as Jesus loves you. But before we get started into that, I want to do kind of a series review of what we've gone through in this Greater Love series. See, we started out in, in this series in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, where Paul says love is patient and love is kind, with a teaching about finding patience for others. Then still in, in verse 4 and 5, we see him saying love is not jealous, it's not rude, it's not boastful, and it's not proud. We talked about putting down the bear. Then in verse 5, we see Paul saying, Love is not irritable and keeps no record of wrongs. And we, we had a teaching about love is unbaggable. And in, in verse 6, Paul says, Love does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices with the truth. And we, we had a teaching on finding joy in others. By the way, you can always catch up with us online. If you've missed any of these teachings or you're just joining the, us this morning, you can catch up on previous messages in this series if you go to our website at www.vernonia.church. There you will find a, a, a tab that will take you to all of our previous messages, and it will bring it to our YouTube channel where these messages can be found. While you're at our YouTube channel, be sure to like and subscribe to help it grow. That way you can always keep in touch with your church, even when you're gone on vacation. But here in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, the Apostle Paul says this about greater love. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Now that's in the, the NIV, but I also want to read it from the NLT because it, it says it uh, a little bit better. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, always endures through every circumstance. Now, when Paul says the words never and always here, he's using a hyperbole. Now, a hyperbole is, is a word that is used or a figure of speech that exaggerates this point. It's sort of like saying, I have done this a million times over. One counselor, though, says that when, when you are in an argument and people start saying always and never, it's, it's time to dial back. Always and never, almost always, or almost always over-exaggerated, and never completely true. You always do this, and it hurts me. You never listen. You never help out. If this is happening, it's time to reevaluate what you're saying. But here, Paul is saying always to get a point across. Always seek to love this way. So let's talk about these three things that, that Paul says to always do when we are applying greater love to your life. The first thing that greater love does is greater love always believes in those you love. 
The word believe can best be described as complete trust or reliance, uh, to have faith in and or to trust something or someone, meaning to look for the best in all circumstances. And it also looks at what someone can be as opposed to what they are currently. It's kind of the exact opposite of a pessimist. You know, the kind of Debbie Downer, or sort of like Eeyore as he's sitting in Winnie Pooh. Oh, woe is me. I guess it's a nice day out. These people look at look for the worst in all circumstances. Believing, however, is not swayed by smooth talk or situation, but, is, but still has faith and discernment even when things don't look very well, teaching us to endure. It's like how Jesus chooses to see us. He didn't just die for the sins of people then and there. He died for the world's sin, trusting that people would put their complete trust in him. Now, several years ago, Alice and I found out that we were going to become parents. There was a flood of emotions. There was a lot of joy. But then a little fear, I would say, settled in when we finally realized that uh, a baby was on the way. But after a few weeks, this emotion changed. Um... Different emotions set in because, well, Allison's morning sickness got worse and worse. Um, there became a lot of fear and confusion. We went to the doctor to try to figure out what was going on, but they basically told us that it was normal and that everything would pass. So we took that as it was, and we went home. But later that night, we'd end up at the ER. Um, Allison hadn't been able to keep anything down for several weeks. And they gave her fluids, and they gave her some medication to calm it down, and we went home. A day later, though, we were on our way to a different hospital. And as we arrived at this different hospital, because I found Allison laying on the floor with no strength, um, they would admit Allison within an hour of being there, and this would become our home for a week. Uh, they were kind of able to determine what was going on. But this, this began a cycle of hospital visits and hospital stays that would continue throughout the entire pregnancy. Now, I don't know about you, but I really struggle with control. If a situation is out of control, I can easily stress out. I'm working on this, and it's, it's not easy. But this situation actually really forced me to learn to trust in God. But it wasn't easy. And truth be told, I still struggle with it off and on to this day, to fully trust God, which also means that I, I struggle to fully trust others. Paul is saying here that, that greater love always believes in those you love. One of the things that, that it could mean for us today is to take the best and kindest view of others as much as possible, which isn't always easy to do, especially if you hear rumors around town or you, you, you hear something from somebody else about how bad this person really can be. We kind of get this idea of who they are before we even meet them. See, believing in others is the, is the opposite of painting the darkest view of them, assuming the worst in them or seeing them cynically, pessimistically, or even as your rival or enemy. This also is something that we can do in our marriage, where couples can start to see each other as enemies and, and, and begin to fight like rivals. Uh, friendships can, can turn this way easily as well, where, where we see each other as enemies or rivals. And family members, co-workers, and even church members can start to see each other in this same way where we become rivals and enemies. But we need to remember one thing, that, that we are on the same team. But this doesn't mean that, that we are naive and allow ourselves to be walked all over and trampled on. 
But like Sam said last week, always believing means having optimism in God. And believing the best might have come down to believing that God has the best in store for them. Basically wishing them well regardless of the situation. The second thing greater love does is greater love, greater love always holds on to hope for those you love. A psychiatrist treated two boys. One was five and one was six. Now the six-year-old, well, he was a pessimist. Trying to brighten his outlook on life, the psychiatrist took him to a room that was filled to the ceiling with brand new toys. Instead of uh, jumping for joy and with delight, the little boy bursts into tears and the psychiatrist says, What's going on? Don't you want to play with these toys? Little boy threw his ball and says, Yes, but if I do, I'll probably break them all. So the psychiatrist moves on to the next boy. He takes the five-year-old, who's an optimist, and trying to dampen his outlook on life, he takes him to a room full with horse manure. Instead of wrinkling his nose in disgust, though, the boy gleefully jumps in there and climbs to the top of the, of the, of the, the, the manure pile and starts taking one handful after another of this manure, which baffled the psychiatrist. What are you doing? As he's pulling out hand after hand, he says, With all this manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. Seeing the brighter side of situations or even our friends or family can be difficult. We too can be caught in the same snare of pessimism if we don't choose hope. Hope means to confidently look forward to what is good and beneficial. Hope sees the brighter side of things and hope sees the world in a cheerful way. Teaching us to never lose faith and gives us confidence and, and future in Christ. In this, hope reminds us that what Christ has begun, he will continue as he has promised to bring it to completion. The word hope Paul uses here is a word that means to not despair. Hope means to confidently look forward to what is good and beneficial. Hope sees the brighter side and hope sees the world in a cheerful way. This teaches us to never lose faith and gives us confidence in a future in Christ. In this, hope reminds us that, that what Christ has begun, he will continue as he has promised to bring it to completion. The word hope Paul uses here is a word that means to not despair. See, even when somebody lets you down, you hold on to the hope for the best for them. Kind of like last, the last point, you hold on to hope for God's best for them. God holds out hope for us, how, how he shows us grace that we don't deserve, and he gives us a gift of hope that we don't deserve. This is actually the opposite of the sour and gloom, which, well, that nastiness is kind of ugh. Sometimes that hope, uh, that hopeful outlook comes from a reminder that growing in Christ is a process. All of us are at different levels in our walk and our journey with God. Sometimes we need to remember, sort of like that bumper sticker says, have patience, God's not done with me yet. And if God's not done with me, then he's not done with you. And if he's not done with you, then he is not done with any of us. 
but the time will come, especially for those who are in Christ, where God will complete what he has started in us. Philippians 1.6 talks about this. When Paul was, was writing an incredibly encouraging letter to the church in Philippi, he encouraged them with this kind of outlook where he says, I am certain of this, that God, uh, that God, who began a good work in you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day that Jesus Christ returns. That's an awesome passage. We like to read a passage like that. It gives us hope for ourselves and our future. But how often do we forget to look at one another with this same type of hope? Because that's not just for me, but that's for all of us. So when you are tempted to have a sour, gloomy look at your spouse, remember God is not done with them yet. He is still doing it, and he's going to bring it to, to completion. When you're tempted to have a sour, gloomy look towards your kids, your family, remember God is still at work in them. When you're, when you're tempted to have a sour, gloomy attitude towards your friends, your brothers or sisters in Christ, or your church, remember God is still working on them. He's not done yet. Finally, when, when, when you're tempted to have a sour, gloomy attitude towards church staff, like me or Pastor Sam, remember, God is still at work in us too. We need to remember, love holds out hope. Finally, the last thing love does is greater love always perseveres. Last week, Sam talked about love never gives up. And here Paul emphasizes that love always pushes through tough times and tough things and, and love perseveres. Have you ever seen that, that cartoon illustration where there's a pelican and in this pelican's mouth is a frog? And that frog's got his hands wrapped tightly around the, the stork's neck and he's sitting there choking like, I ain't giving up, this isn't done yet, I am not dying today. And you see this glum look on the, the pelican's face as he's going, oh, this sucks. Well, the caption on this cartoon reads, Never give up. Now, there was a baseball player named Lou Gehrig. Uh, he had a nickname, though, and his nickname was Iron Horse. But theoretically, he wasn't made of iron, as events later in his career would, prov would prove. See, first, doctors would x-ray his hands, only to discover that there had been 17 fractures that had healed without Lou stopping to get treatment. His bones were broken, but not his spirit. His 2,130 consecutive games played with, was a record until, well, 56 years later, Cal Ripken Jr. would shatter that and exceeded it in 1995. His consecutive game streak might have remained a record if it wasn't for the second event that would prove that he is not, in fact, iron, but flesh and blood. Eight games into the 1939 season, he retired because he contracted a, a degenerative disc, a de degenerative disease that now bears his name, Lou Gehrig's disease. If not for that disease, no, how many hundreds more games would he have played? While it's not easy for us to endure when we are faced with, with something that, that seems impossible, sometimes it means that, that we have to take a step back and take it one step at a time. The word persevere means to, to endure even through the toughest circumstances. Even when it seems difficult or is annoying or it hurts our feelings, to persevere means to forgive our brothers and sisters for words, actions, and deeds done to us, and 
This isn't just a one-time forgiveness, but a continual forgiveness every time they ask. Here are some of the things that persevering, persevering love does. Try that again. Here are some things that... Here are some things that persevering love does. Perverse, per, persevering love endures offenses. Jesus teaches us to forgive offenses. So often someone offends us and we just give up loving on them. Uh, sometimes they offend us one, two, three, four, or five times and we stop loving them. But listen to the way that Jesus says that we are supposed to love and endure others and offenses. Luke 17.4 says, Jesus teaches us, saying, Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day, each time and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. That one's kind of a hard one, isn't it? It would be like the brother who sits there and says, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you. Right? It would be kind of annoying and it kind of hurts. But, but Jesus is actually saying here that even if they were doing that and they asked for forgiveness, that we're still supposed to forgive them. Persevering love lets go of resentment. 2 Timothy 2.24 in the NLT says it like this, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. The NIV says it a little differently, where it says, And the Lord's servant must not be resentful. Uh, that's a difficult one, because when somebody wrongs us, we really would rather just tell them to take a hike. But when we're storing up resentment, we're not showing the love of Jesus. So we learn to let go of resentment. We learn that, that love perseveres through anything that's going on and, and requires us not to store up resentment. That means that we have to let go of things that, that we resent towards our spouse, towards our friends, our family, and even our church body. Persevering also says that we have to have thick skin for the sake of the mission. And this perseverance takes this thick skin that, well, for most of us, it means that we need to have thicker skin than we already have. And for me, this is, this is one of those areas where I really struggle. I take on things uh, that I shouldn't. I beat myself up. It, it's a hard area, uh, especially when I've done something wrong or somebody doesn't like me or somebody uh, uh, um, says something re rude or mean to me. I, I have a tendency to clam up or to, to get, uh, um, well, to get my feelings hurt. Most of us let it bother us so easily and, too, and so quickly that, uh, well, we just need to learn to have thicker skin. And this is one that I would say that I need to because uh, thicker skin means that we endure more in this, enduring more insults. It causes us to endure more disagreements. I would say it also endure us more when we get let down. Enduring more is one of those, is, is enduring one another's sins. It can also be enduring tough times and hard conversations. Enduring more means that we, we endure more during personality flaw, flaws and, and faults. And it also means that we're going to have to endure more time to heal.
But here's the good, here's the, here's the awesome thing. We don't just endure it to endure it. But when we endure it, we show Jesus's love. Because maybe in enduring somebody else's shortcomings or together, we may be showing Jesus's love and might be helping someone to come to know him and accept his love as their own for their life. We endure it for the sake of the mission of Jesus, which is to save lost people. Now, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2.10, uh, he's one who endured all kinds of things, from stoning, which at one point he tries to get back up and head right back in to preach to him, uh, persecution, rejection, and hardship. He'll say this, So I am willing to endure anything if it brings salvation and eternal glory to, to Jesus Christ, to those God has chosen. When we look at people God has brought into our life, which ones today? And when you look at the people God has brought into your life for you to love, what is it He is calling you to endure? What is He calling you to endure for the sake of the mission? That's the kind of question God tells us to ask. Even an even greater question is, how is God calling me to persevere in love for them? When we talk about these things that love does, we realize Jesus' greater love has shown us all of these things. His, his love for us always believes. He believes in us so much he was willing to go to the cross to show us love even before we chose to accept him. He believes in us that we are worth saving, that we are worthy of loving, and he believes in us and he loves us unconditionally. His love for us always hopes. He went to the cross to bring us hope. His love for us always perseveres. He persevered and endured the cross to bring us the grace and mercy that we don't deserve. Where it comes back to this portion that love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. As we close today, I want to direct you to our next steps. Maybe, maybe today you're going to make that first-time decision and you're going to take that next step of, of trusting God with your life and, and allowing his love uh, to persevere over you. That as you've learned about this greater love that God has for you, that, that you will start to believe it in your heart. Maybe, maybe you're going to make the next step and make Jesus the Lord of your life and, and let him lead you in practicing love for others. Or maybe you're going to take, you want to take that next step, that big decision of trusting God with everything that you have and taking that next step of baptism. No, maybe you're ready to take that last step of baptism to let Jesus know that you are all in with his love. As we close, I pray that you would pray for those as I get ready to pray for you as we close this service. Thank you for this opportunity to speak with you guys today, and I hope that you have a blessed week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to be able to talk about your greater love and how it, it always trusts, always perseveres, and it never lets go, believing the best in all people. Father, I ask that as we go through this week, 
Father, that you would show us how to love others, how you love them, that you would help us to see them through your eyes, and through that, that you would help us to love them as you love them. Whether it's family members, friends, church members, somebody that we know in town, or somebody we know somewhere else. Father, somebody that we're supposed to be giving love to, Father, may you convict us in our hearts to reach out to them and to love them, and that you would teach us to see them through your eyes. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen.